0: All right, before I get to my next guest, Kip Henley, I want to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at com, or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now back with me here on Next on the tee is uh, PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley. Let me remind you about Kip's background. He's from Chattanooga, Tennessee, played his college golf at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, where he tied for 19th at the 1982 Marshall Invitational and tied for fourth at the Southern Conference Championship. He has been a PGA Class A professional since 1988. He's played out on the Hooters Tour, on the Corn Ferry Tour, what's now the Corn Ferry Tour, and out on the PGA Tour as well. He's won the uh, Tennessee State Open twice and has been named Tennessee Player of the Year four times. He won the Golf Channel's Big Break 2 back in 2004 in a final that went uh, 20 holes. He's been a caddy-on tour for several players like Jason Bond, Garrett Willis, Stuart Sink, B.J. Singh, Austin Cook, Brian Gay, and Boo Weekly. Back in 2017, he was inducted into the Chattanooga Sports Hall of Fame, and I'm very honored. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Kip, thanks for coming back on the show.
1: Hey, Chris, good Lord, you know more about me than I know about me. How'd you get all that? <laughs> How did you find out I played in the Marshall Invitational, on I, I didn't know I finished that well, 19th. I'm proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> As you should be. How you doing, Kip? What's going on with you? Myself. I'm doing great. Well, that brought back some memories. You know, when uh, we played in the Marshall Invitational, uh, Ohio State, and there was a lot of strong teams played in that thing. I can't believe I finished that high because I was terrible in college. <laughs> well,
0: you couldn't have been that bad for finishing tied for fourth in the conference championship. That's pretty strong.
1: Yeah, that's probably my best showing ever in college. I think uh, – we were in there against East Tennessee State and Halbert and a bunch of guys. So we weren't in, in Faxon. I think Faxon might have even been in our – I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, that, that was about as good as I ever – I think I finished second in one other college tournament. No wins ever. My, I really had a, a very bad college career at golf. Well, and in not again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Kip? What what what's got you busy right now? What are you doing? You know, with all this coronavirus and everything else. What 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 are you? How are you spending your days?
1: Well, uh, thank goodness we finally got to go back out. I, I worked the last two weeks. I did a Hilton Head, and then I went to a Cromwell. But Stuart missed the cut up in uh, Connecticut, and so I uh, I flew home Friday night. I've been home for a couple of days. I'm here this week, and then I head back out. I dr- I'm driving up to uh, Stewart's in both the uh, Muirfield events, so uh, one week at home and start back on the road.
0: You nervous at all about what's going on with the COVID-19 now, particularly that we're seeing players test positive, a couple of caddies, you know, we're, we're iffy, so any reservations?
1: Zero for me, bud. I just, I'm just, you know, they're keeping us safe as they possibly can. They're really testing us out the wazoo up there and we're having to wear a mask inside and things like that. And, uh, I mean, I am, I have ze- really, truly, I have zero reservations about it anyway. And like, I just don't get sick. I don't catch colds. I don't catch flus. I just don't. So that, I mean, I don't want to give it to someone else if I contract it or if I'm a carrier. That would concern me. But as far as me getting it, something else is going to kill Kipper. There ain't going to be no flu bug getting <laughs> a, a knock-on knock on linoleum. And <laughs> hey, Kip, you know, you
0: guys, well, at least from what I'm reading, they're trying to keep you guys, as you mentioned, as safe as possible. Sort of life in a bubble uh, on some levels, you know, guys, you know, charter planes, and you know, everyone sort of staying together and that sort of thing. Do you feel it? Do you feel that they're they're really going above and beyond to keep you guys as safe as possible?
1: They're super. I can't imagine what kind of money the P J Tour is spending doing this stuff that they're doing. These two charter jets a week. And all the testing, think of the testing. I mean, I mean they're having like real health people come in, like doctors and stuff, and testing us. And they have all these staging centers where you go here and you get a swab up your nose, then you go over there, and everything's wrapped in plastic. And it's, they hand you your book; it's wrapped in plastic. And uh, I mean, when we go inside to eat, you have to have a mask when you walk in there. And, like, you grab your food and you sit down and there's, like, one one or two guys at a ta- big giant table here and one or two over there, and people are just staying apart. And I mean, it this COVID really has put the fear in a lot of guys. And you can see it in the way a lot, half the caddies, and you know, maybe a little bit less than half, you can see they're really super conscientious of what they're doing. You know, there's a handful of guys that are pretty lax about it, but. They don't have any choice. If they get caught being super liked about it, they'll be asked to leave. The tour is – they ain't messing around, man. I, they're, they're spending serious jack on this. I can't – I'd really love to know what the tour is spending to keep us – try and keep us healthy, you know. But now I heard another player tested for it. But I'm just thankful yeah. that it ain't like – I'm just thankful it ain't like 10 of the caddies do it and like no players and then we infect the players. So, so far, more players are getting infected than the caddies. So. Oh. That makes me feel a little better. I was afraid of everybody. Well, like, oh, the caddies getting everybody sick. You know how they did. They, caddies on the uh, nation, I mean, on the corn ferry that got sick. It first, first I heard of any of a, you know, no, I hadn't heard of any tour players. I hadn't heard of any caddies on the PJ Tour and haven't heard of any corn ferry players. And then it came out that two caddies got tested and, and tested positive. And they said they were in a bar. You know, it's a crowded bar, and everybody's really throwing rocks at them and stuff. And I thought, God, that makes us look like idiots. But now then, it seems like there's way more players to test than the caddies. And so that's a long answer to your yeah. question. But, yeah, it's spent a lot of money.
0: <laughs> so, Kip, do you think the tour is really committed to, regardless of what happens, we're going to finish out this season, we're going to get all the way through to the Masters in November? Or could there come a situation if, you know, God forbid, you know, one of the big players like a Rory or a Tiger or, you know, one of those guys ends up, you know, getting really sick. Could they pull the plug on the rest of the season?
1: I can't imagine, Chris. I can't imagine, you know, when they were doing, I mean they've they've hosted like 3,000 tests or something. So I mean it would be uh, crazy to think that you're not going to have somebody come positive in that, you know, but, as long as someone doesn't die or like a rash of like 15 or 10% of the players start to get sick, then there'll be a shutdown. But as long as there's just one or two guys a week, and really the worst I've heard yet is a runny nose. One of them had a runny nose. No one feels bad. No one's been put in a hospital. I think think the tour is to be commended for doing what they're doing, trying to put some normalcy back in sports. And, And people, you know, the real naysayers, you know, and the real haters out there and the and the fear mongers are, are going to say, you know, that it is sports worth it and it's not worth it. And you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. But uh, any sensible human being would realize that sports and major sports is a part of our lives and it's a part of our lives, you know, the way we do things on the weekends and the things we get out and do. And I, I commend the tour to no end. And Jay Monahan, what he's doing is just. I think it's remarkable, and I pray they don't catch. So, you know, I don't. Obviously, if fifteen percent of the players start to get sick, then they'll be they'll be their hands are tied. They'll be shutting it down. But as long as there's a a, pop, a, a, a spot here, a spot there, I think the tourists be commended for what they're doing, Mike.
0: If I want to <laughs> switch gears, oh. and I want to, I want to talk about some other stuff. And um, when I was looking back at uh, at your career. You go back to 97 during the club pro championship, you were in sixth place, but got hospitalized. Speaking of hospitals, you got hospitalized for severe dehydration and the, the top 25 for that tournament. We're going to earn a spot in the PGA championship at Wingfoot. That's sort of the one that got away.
1: Oh my gosh, Chris, you are, you got some kind of dang research department up there, Buck. yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> you knew about that. Uh, You know, when I was, and back in those days, I wasn't the old fat, out of shape caddy that I am with a big bell. I was pretty healthy, and I played in the National Club Pro that year at Pioneers, and and I think it was like 108 degrees almost every single round that year, and (laughs) I was so healthy in those days. You know, I always said a hungry shark hunts better, so I wouldn't eat or anything during my rounds, and if I ever ate, it would be like a Diet Coke and a snicker bar to turn. I was the I was the worst. That was way before nutrition became a big deal, too. You know, at least it was for me. And I didn't. No players were. It was. It was more hot dogs and hamburgers and and uh you know like a, a Gatorade is like really going to bat for nutrition back in those days. But I uh I drank a Diet Coke at the turn and uh I drank a Diet Coke where I teed off and a Diet Coke at the turn that day in 108 degree and never. I'd never even thought about dehydration in my career. And if I saw water, I might get a sip or here and there, but I was just in such good shape. I was playing a lot of basketball, but, boy, something hit me that day. And, I mean, it was a valuable lesson for me. And I went down, had to go to the hospital, and uh, God, it was a scary time. But that's amazing that you knew about that. That is a huge hole in my, my golf resume, never making it to the PGA Championship. I and mean, if all I had to do was take vertical that weekend and I was going to make it, that was. I mean that still sticks in my craw to this day, Chris. It's amazing you knew that story.
0: <laughs> um,
1: I want to talk about some of your
0: time. going Let's go back to college because uh, you know you caddied at the Masters a handful of times, but I read that you know you guys used to drive down there. You know, back in the days when you could still walk up to the ticket counter and buy a ticket for the practice rounds. <laughs> you know, twelve dollars, fifteen dollars. <laughs> You used to go and, and be a part of it back then. Talk about your early memories of what it was like being at Augusta National.
1: You know, I was growing up as a kid, I'd always watch it. And I found out when we were in the 11th grade, me and my good buddy found out we could just drive down there and get tickets. You know, we could just walk right up to the practice round. You couldn't get tournament tickets. I think there might have even been a waiting list in those days. I'm not positive about that. We found out you could go to practice rounds, and we found out it's $12.50, so we skipped school and went down there, paid the twelve fifty, and and parked, and had enough money left over to eat barbecue sandwiches, and just had an amazing day down there, me and my buddy just in awe, and seeing Arnold Palmer when he wasn't too far removed from his heyday, and he was just like a god to me in those days, dressed, I can remember what he was wearing that day in 1970, I remember he had on these gray golf slacks and a pink golf shirt, and that and it hit silver hair. And, he, I mean, it was just, like, really bumping into Jesus for me. It was really a, a moving experience. And so we decided our senior year, hey, we're doing that again. We're going to skip school. We'll go down to Wednesday and maybe catch the par three. We find out we can. So we drive down there, and we got just enough money to get our tickets and have a couple of barbecue sandwiches and get back with gas money. We were broke. And we get down there, and the, and the tickets were not 12.50 like they were on the Tuesday. They were 15 on the par three day. And that, that really cut into our budget. We just had to go light on barbecue <laughs> that day. But again, <laughs> I fell in love with that place, man. I mean, I knew every inch of that. We would go down and walk it. So, so we would just walk it over and over and over. So, and when I finally got to go caddy for Brian Gay and that thing, I said, dude, I know this thing plays like the back of my hand. I've never, you know, I've never been in on the green, but, I know every inch of this place, and I've been there so many times. And after I got my class A as a club pro, we'd go down to tournament rounds and stuff. So it was a, uh, it's really a, uh, 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 a religious experience for me. Augusta is fabulous.
0: And to that end, Kip, and walking it as as a kid and and seeing it, uh, it is one thing. Lugging a fifty pound bag. And a white jumpsuit up and down those hills, up and down 5 and 8 and 17 and 18. That's a whole different thing.
1: What's that like? But man, it's It's way tougher than people think. The first thing you'll notice about Augusta, if you've never seen it, it's up on TV, and you finally get to see it in person. The first thing that blows your mind is the change in elevation. It's so much up and down. And, and when you're walking those fairways, like you saying, carrying that that bag, uh, I'll tell you a quick funny story about, you know, when I went to work for VJ for those five events, my first tournament was Augusta National. So we hang out a little bit, Monday, through, whatever it was, the practice rounds, you know. And TRE, by this time, by Wednesday, he knows my diet. is pretty much just hamburgers and French fries and cold beer and stuff after the rounds. And saying he just knows I eat terrible. He can see my body and know it, but he, he finds out my diet. So the first round, he hits it in that bunker on number eight you know, the fairway bunker, the cross bunker. And so he gets stuck in there and he blasts out and he don't even, you know, he barely gets to the top of the hill. So now I've got to rake that bunker. The, whoever I'm playing with, can't remember who we were paired with, but they're on the other side of the fairway. They can't help me. So I got to get in that, rake that bunker perfectly, you know, and uh, I rake the bunker out and then I hop back out, toss the rake aside, pick that bag up. Now I look up that, it looks like Mount Everest in front of me, getting up to that second <laughs> shot on eight. So I kind of start doing my little fat, man, jog up the hill there, holding that bag on my shoulder. I get to the top, man, and I am sucking some bad air. I am absolute. <laughs> DJ looks at me, he smiles, he doesn't smile much, he looks at me and he goes, you want another little cheeseburger there, buddy? <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> he heard me sucking air like crazy. He was poking fun of my fat behind getting up there, but. <laughs> uh, yes, the the hills of Augusta are and, you know. And then eighteen is way more uphill than you think. You tee off and then you go down the bottom of the hill that you can't see on television, and then you got to go all the way back up. But that, but usually you know, really truly, Chris, when you're there during the tournament, you're absolutely walking on air, and you can. It's 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 a tough walk, but it's way easier because of where you If that were Reno or something like that, and first place was five hundred thousand, and it wasn't. 15,000 fans, it would be really a tough wall but it's Augusta man you you're walking on air there
0: If there are a couple of funny things that I've seen people attribute to you so I, or you that I've read that were quotes from you and I wanted to see if it's real one of the things I read it's you said I'm ha- I'm a happy go lucky guy on the course and I like to have fun but I'm determined to win my big break this might sound terrible but I've but I've given a lot to this game and it owes me, and I think a lot of us feel that way. Have you gotten what the game owes you?
1: Oh my goodness, I've said that a million times, man. Uh, as I'm starting to get older, you know, and I'm looking back and I realize pretty much everything that uh, that I can touch, you know, besides my family, has came to me, and all my memories come to me through the game of golf. But I mean, I look at my career as a failure, you know, not ever get the tour because that was my one mission in life. I was going to be a tour player, you know. I wasn't, I wasn't a good college player, but I knew the whole time I was in college, I didn't need to pass, I didn't need to get a degree because I knew I'd win me a couple of green jackets someday. It was nothing but a complete mission for me to get that done. So I look at my golf career, even though I've had, you know, a, a crap ton of trophies and stuff, I look at it as pretty much a failure. But Really? I haven't said that. Yes, I do. And people laugh at me for that. They say, Kip, are you kidding? All the state opens and everything you've done and you've won and the big break and all that. And I said, great. But I, I had one mission in life and I failed at it. You know, and i tried with both hands for 100 years. I never, I just wasn't smart enough to give up. And I had a wife who supported me and wouldn't, she supported my mission the whole time. I can't point fingers at anyone but myself. So, I mean, it's really, I mean, but. It's a serious question, but the golf doesn't owe me anything anymore. You know, I failed at it, in my opinion, but uh, the game is such a beautiful game, and and it doesn't owe me. I shouldn't say that anymore because you quit saying that. I should just say uh, my career as a golfer is kind of a is a, a, mostly a failure the way I look at it. And that's sad? It's I also, kind of sad, isn't it?
0: it? It is a sad statement because you have one. about And the big break, too. You go out there. And and you pull that off I and mean, you had to go two extra holes to win it in the final. But that's a heck of a thing. I mean, think about it. How many people can say that they've won as often as you have won?
1: I mean, not very I mean, just the guys on television, you know, and maybe a few guys around the state, uh, your state players that have had any kind of career that can match mine. I'm I mean, I'm proud of I'm proud of what I've accomplished in some ways, you know, but that one thing, that one golden ring that I never could get my hand around, man, that just leaves, but the big break, too, man, that was an absolute game changer for me, and having an opportunity, and that lit the fire back under me again, you know, I wasn't far from giving up to start caddying, and then when that big break rolled around, I won it, boy, that turned it right back on again, and uh, I had uh, some money to go out and play, I paid off all my credit cards that I'd put us in debt trying to play for a living, and and I got to start fresh there, and and I failed again. So I mean, I look at that. Uh, uh, even though it was the most incredible thing that ever happened in my golf career for sure, winning the big break too, uh, it, it gave me the chance to get back out there, and I failed for the hundredth time. You know, so I don't know. It's it's a it's a, I need to see a psycho. Can I lay on your couch and you and you figure this out for me? Cause I need I need a Absolutely. psychology stuff.
0: Absolutely, let's do it, uh, uh, Kip. I I read a quote that says you're a lot taller than you look.
1: <laughs> Is that, yeah, that, are, are you physically deceiving? No, listen, dude. I'm five. I'm, I'm some my people say I'm five nine. I haven't I haven't done my heights and everything. I used to say I was five seven and a half. That's how tall I thought I was, but. I've uh I've been I think I'm five nine now, but I used to say I used to cut myself short because I was proud that I could dunk a volleyball, you know, being a short white guy. And I was able I played a lot of basketball in my days, and I was always proud of that. So I always low balled my height a little bit, you know. And I already had a wife, so I didn't have to lie about how tall I was to chicks. So I didn't I wasn't trying to get girls. So I li- I lied low instead of high on that, just for my jumping ability. So I think I may be five nine, but. I'm no bigger in person, than I'm short and as fat as I look on television. That's what I look like in humans.
0: <laughs> and I read someone once asked you what your favorite foreign country to caddy in is, and you said
1: Alabama. Still the case? <laughs> that's still the case, yeah. Uh, man, I don't care. I, you're amazing at the stuff you come up with. Well, you're doing some serious research, little buddy. Uh, Yeah, I did say that. I'm a local caddy. I do not like to get out. I mean, if I go to Canada, that stinks for me, you know, having to cross the border and get up there and the food's awful and everything, even though I got a lot of Canadian friends. But, uh, like, going to England and caddying over there, you would think that'd be the greatest thing in the whole wide world, but I'd rather have needles jabbed in my eyes. I don't like doing it. Now, once, once you're there in your terrible hotel and you're eating terrible food, and once you're you get on to the first tee of like St. Andrews, then it's a, it's different. You're really in, you know, you know you're doing something special, and you're getting to be a part of something really special. But getting there and staying in the hotels and the food just I don't like it. Worth the crap. And the in the long airport lines and the and doing through whatever customs that all stinks. I hate that part. I'm a local cat. Kev,
0: just a couple more before I let you go and. And I've heard, you know, some of your peers talk about how players don't want caddies to implement or uh, implant any negative thoughts. Like, you know, hey, don't hit it left. Hey, watch out for the water on the right. They only sort of want positive thoughts kind of implanted before wow. before they hit a shot. Um, talk about your experience with, with guys. Do, you know, what do they want you to do or what do they not want you to say?
1: exactly what you said but you know having played at a, a fairly high level i was already aware of all that and and really chris what we do is caddies reading greens and getting yardages and all that stuff it, it 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 pales in comparison to what our most important job is and that's to kind of be a uh, uh, you know a, a psychologist in a, in a sounding board for our guys and 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 help them keep their confidence up and when things go rough and you you're telling them the sensible things and uh that's the most important thing the best caddies on the P J tour do. Know what the guy's thinking, know see see down the road. Know, and and you can do this, man, you can be out there on tour and as a caddy you're not having to control your emotions very much at all. You know, you're just getting to observe and, and if you and if you're really on top of your game out there, you can see things unfold and you can hear the statements coming from like rookies and and other guys have been up, down a, a little bit, and you can see. I'm telling you, you can, you can, a, a couple of caddies go. Here's what this guy's about to do right here, Joe, and and here's what he's going to do when we get over to 16. This ball's going over here. You watch. And, I mean, you can just see it. You can predict the future by listening to these guys' attitudes and stuff, and and it's pretty amazing what <laughs> if you really pay attention and you've been around the game, you can see the future as a caddy. It's a pretty amazing. So most of us really. uh We're pretty good at uh, psychology. I've always said, Chris, I've always said, if you could somehow put the interactions with the caddies and the players into a textbook, it would be a a master class, psychology class at the hardest university in the world. It it is absolute, it's mental warfare what we go through out there with the the players and the caddies and how, how you're, you know, what to say at the right time. I lay awake at night in the hotel room and thinking about how can I get my guy's head tomorrow and make him a more confident cocky golfer? you know that's that's what we do so uh, again, that's a long answer to your short question, but that's what the cat- the most important caddies the best caddies are sports guys in their brain
0: kip i I looked on your on your Twitter page and I could see you're still disappointed Pete Rose isn't in the Hall of fame why.
1: That's crazy. I mean, the guy, I mean, obviously you can't go and do what he did, but it's been long enough. He's paid the price. You know, the guy's uh, he's a, he's an all-time hit leader, right? Number one. Right. did not he? How do you yeah. not have that guy in your Hall of Fame? And, and Bar- Bart Giamani said at one point, as long as he's alive, he'll never be in the Hall of Fame. Well, Bart's dead now. Paid his. I just think he's deserving of it. You know, I know he bet on the game. And he and apparently he just bet to uh, his team to win. He didn't ever throw the he didn't ever throw a match or anything like that, which would be the ultimate sin. But I mean, it, obviously he did wrong, but I think he's paid the price. And he's been a good ambassador for the game since that that you know since he's been out of it really and truly. He's he's a great interview and stuff. And boy, what's going through? He's a you know he's a, he's a real baseball nut and expert and. Uh, I just, you know, I wasn't even a huge fan of his, but I think what's right is right he should be in there.
0: Kip, one of our new sponsors here on the show is the Macklemore, which is a beautiful new course up there just outside of Chattanooga. And you tweeted not that long ago that the 18th hole there is the second most beautiful finishing hole in golf after the 18th at Pebble Beach. Talk about that course.
1: Yeah, now I've never played it, but I went and visited. Me and the wife were just driving around for a Sunday afternoon just to to get out and uh I th- we got up on Lookout Mountain. I'd love to go up and look at the history of that, you know, both sides of the war and things like that. The Civil War was big here. And so we started kinda going further into the mountain. And if you go far enough, you eventually get back there to where the Macklemore is. It's the other side of the, the uh Lookout Mountain. So uh I I decided you know, my, my one of my old the, when I was the head pro in Fairfield Glade, Crossville, Tennessee, one of the assistant pros came through there. And went on and got his other job up. He's the head pro there now, Doug Amore. So he's a good friend. And uh, so I just went up to visit him. He wasn't there that day. And I just popped in without it. And they gave me a card and let me, they were nice to me and let me look around. And we immediately rode down to the 18th. And I couldn't wait to see it. And boy, it did not disappoint. It's beautiful, man. What a golf course. But really and truly, uh, you really got to see that. To, to I tried to uh, capture it on my phone. And let you know the beauty of the place, that it don't do it justice. It, it, it's the beauty of sitting there looking off the side of that mountain. I'm telling you, there's there's two or three spots on that thing. If you take one step off, it's you're dead. You're a, you're plummeting hundreds of feet down to the the rock below. So it's not you know it's not uh, something you'll be you. It, it'll take your breath away when you get up near the edge. I mean, you're not going to run the golf cart off or anything unless you're just being a fool and you know where you're going. But it is so incredible to see looking off down. And I don't know if that's the Sequatchie Valley below or what it is, but it is some kind of beautiful. And they say it's a, a, a unbelievable. I just rode a couple of holes on the back and we took off. But I'm dying to get up there and play it, and especially since a lot of my friends have so much to do with it.
0: Kip, just one more before I let you go. And you were inducted into the Chattanooga Sports Hall of Fame. What's it like uh, being recognized like that in your hometown?
1: You know, it's pretty special, you know, uh, like I said, I've I've tried so hard at the game for so long and, you know, and I've won, I just did most of my, I'm, I'm in there mostly because I did damage in the club pro ranks and, you know, in Tennessee golf because I was a club pro for so many years here and that's where I, that's where I got, you know, 90% of my trophies come from that spot, just beating the guys in Tennessee golf, but. Uh, I'm super proud of that. And the, more than anything, it was to to go in there behind my father. My father was a great athlete. He's in there for the softball men's fast pitch softball was a huge sport in uh Chattanooga, Tennessee. And they had some powerhouse teams and went to the world tournament a bunch. And so my father was already in there and that made it even that much more special to be the second Henley in there. So I am proud of that. And, uh, I feel like, really, truly, this is a terrible saying, if the people in Tennessee are listening, they'll they'll come at me for this. But uh, I feel like there's – as hard as it is to win golf tournaments now and in, in, in state events, you know, there's so many great players, you know. Like, uh, Tigers records on tour are going to be hard to beat, man. Somebody special is going to have to really come along to win that often. It's the same in Tennessee golf. There's so many good players now. It's getting harder and harder to win events. And, you know, my career it doesn't stand out as, as – as big in Tennessee golf as many of the others that are in the Hall of Fame. But i have asked a pretty good career. It's going to be hard for a lot of guys to get to because there's so many guys winning events now. It's just not one or two. So I kind of feel like they're going to play heck keeping me out of that Tennessee Hall of Fame, I hope. That would be a really <laughs> big question <special laughs> if that happens. It probably won't happen, like I said, because my career isn't that great. But it's getting harder and harder for these boys to catch me. I promise you. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Kip, let our <laughs> listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on social media.
1: I'm just, I'm pretty much a, Twitter's my game, man. I'm just Kip Henley on Twitter, and and uh, I've I've been I've been sucked into the political uh, thing, things a little bit. You know, I've always been, I consider myself a great American, and I support the president. So I catch a lot of heat for supporting uh, Trump. You know, from people. And but I, when I supported Obama, the same as I supported Trump, I caught a lot of heat from the other side of the aisle. So I'm used to that. But I try not to get too caught up in the political scene. And I know my golf thing is what people in there for my jokes and my wife and my beautiful family and the pictures and make me sharing and the honesty that I have with uh, with the game and stuff. And I try to push it right to the edge. You no, know, without I'm, I'm proud of the fact that the PGA Tour has never asked me to take down one of my tweets. And everybody thinks I'm super controversial. Well, I've never done anything that the tour looked at and said, "Hey, that should come down." And and I would not never cross the bro code with like a player or a caddy. I would not ever rat somebody out for doing something rotten. Or, but I try to I try to be as honest and as uh, forthcoming as I can about the game of golf. And I I think uh, I think I'm a pretty good follow on there. That's something I'm, I think I'm okay with. Yes, at, you are. But I'll pat it up on that.
0: You are a tremendous follow.
1: Kip, I can't thank you
0: enough for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime.
1: I'll do it, little buddy. And if I ever have any research, I'm hiring your tail to be the research, man. You're the best.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you. Kip, stay safe, my Uh, friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up
1: soon. Peace and love. See ya. See ya.
0: That's a great, Kip Henley, folks. He is a tremendous, Follow on Twitter at Kit Penley. Can't get easier. He is so much fun, and like you said, he's honest and and you know you, you put a spin on some things like you know being you know, your your favorite foreign country to, to go to is Alabama, and uh, it does it just doesn't get any better than that. So I highly encourage you to to take uh, to take a uh, look at his Twitter page and give him a follow. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the tea My sincere thanks go out to. Michael Whalen, Andy Lano, and Kip Henley for joining me. Uh, please check out our website next on t.net to keep up to date with what uh, the guest schedule looks like here. Uh, you can stream this show as a podcast over on podcast.co, and that's .co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm. We are all over the net. You have a favorite podcasting site? You're going to find us on it. Folks, I cannot thank you enough for continuing to make us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.
1: Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundation sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off.